Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Heart on the Mic. I'm here with this week's special guest, Julie Ortega. Round of applause. (laughs) For myself? Yes. (laughs) If you don't know Julie Ortega, she is my mom's best friend. She is, me and my sister Priscilla were actually just having Mm. this conversation like a week or two ago. And she was like, oh yeah, she's like your guys' second mom. I'm like, no. She's Yolanda's second mom. She's like Yolanda, uh, Marissa's grandma, and she's like my godmother. Oh. So you can get that correct, please. <laughs> but a little bit to everybody. Yes, you play a special role in our lives all in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that's a very a unique trait to be able to have yeah. because you just fill the needs that we have there. So I appreciate all that you do for us, especially my mom. I'm just excited to have you bring your knowledge on today and share some wisdom. I know that you've had a wide range of experiences. <laughs> it's been a wild life. ride. <laughs> what do you feel like is something you've recently worked through that you kind of accepted now from all that you've gone through yeah it's been uh i was thinking doing this podcast and like i wonder if it's going to turn into a mini series because <laughs> there's, there's a lot a, to you <laughs> like uh which which part of my life are we gonna delve in but it's it's really whatever the lord's you know directing me to say or do because going through what i'm going through right now is completely different than what i was going through um before pete passed away mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm already bringing up pete but uh you know grieving at the loss of your husband and all the changes you go through is way different than yeah. what I was going through before. And the healing, healing is way easier, way easier. People used to say, wow, how do you, how do you go through all that that you went through as a kid? And I was just like, it just didn't seem that hard. I mean, I just did it. Yeah. Now, not so easy to navigate, you know. Through grief, you've been a widow for going on two years going to be two years on this the 21st, summer yeah and um ugh, it's even know, emotional it's for, for me because growing up I was always closer to Pete right. and he played that role for me and right. then as I've gotten older you have mm-hmm. filled that role of being like a godmother to me and um it's it's amazing to watch you guys I can say how peaceful you guys have been in in the grief you and shy and just how you guys have handled it i don't know how so gracefully i feel like i would be a hot mess and Mm -hmm. um you have gone through a lot and that's something that i remember as a kid because you and my mom have been best friends for what 25 years i don't know 30 years oh my gosh 30 years so we were pregnant together and ricky and Priscilla priscilla are 31 so, so you guys knew each other before. 30, yeah, when we were pregnant, we met. We used to pray together when we were pregnant. So that's wow. almost 32 years. So best friends for 32 years. Mm-hmm. And you've seen it all in our family. And yeah. we've seen it all in your family. Yeah. And something that blows me away is all that you've gone through as a kid. Do you kind of want to touch on some yeah. of that yeah. a bit? All of it, whatever comes what, Okay, of. <laughs> go right ahead because... It's all connected. It is connected because what you've gone through has made you so passionate to lead women and to pour into women and just love on strangers because the darkness that was just yeah. there. 
what was touch on let's touch on that so i gotta keep in mind that people that don't know me yes are gonna listen to this so yeah so i'm so used to most people that already knowing know me yeah um even at church being at the same church for 25 years you know everybody knew that it was a part of who i was it was part of what god used in my ministry so that was uh it was awesome to be surrounded by people who knew all that and see how the lord used it with the girls groups from church and the high school girls all that um it definitely has made me who i am and i wouldn't take it back mm-hmm. you know any of it because i don't think until you've really seen the face of evil can you really understand god really you know i think from a very young age i remember my first probably my first memory probably before I was probably at three years old I remember one of my first memories not my very first memory but my one of my first memories is is walking around my house with a little picture of Jesus and uh, when you tilted the picture his eyes would open and close Mm -hmm. and I remember being in love with Jesus and I knew that God loved me so that means my mom poured that into me yeah and my mom got saved in high school but I think marrying my dad she kind of swayed away from kind of fell away from the lord but not enough not to she she poured that into me you know so um i was abused by satanic occult when i was six years old and that's a long story maybe we'll make that another well you say that so like there's no big deal what does that well, even it is. mean okay to so be that is that is them? that is a big a huge it is a big deal, deal. <laughs> so um you know the satanic occult exists yes they are alive and well. And you grew up, just to be clear, not in some la-la faraway no, no. Um, country or state. You grew up here in Orange County in Westminster, That's right? That's right. So we live currently, you and I, you live in this Huntington, is Huntington yeah. Beach. I live in Los Alamitos. So right on the other side of that freeway is Signal Hill. Mm. That's where it happened. Oh, wow. And I found out somewhere along the line of my therapy uh, that one of, the, one of the counselors that I had that knew a lot about people who had been abused by satanic occults told me one day just randomly told me yeah you know that uh signal hill is a hot spot for satanic occult worship and i was like oh gosh that's exactly where i lived when i was little when all this happened so um yeah that's signal hill so um my dad's nephew who was living in texas was 18 and he was i guess they were getting ready to throw him in prison or jail and my dad decided to rescue him and bring him out here to California. I don't know if he came here illegally or what the deal was. That's the only story I got. But my dad let him move in with us. He's trying to help him. Mm. You know, I get a lot of my um, trying to rescue people. I, I look back at my dad. My dad was from him. definitely rescuing. Brought his uh, nephew in. His name was Ronnie. And he was 18. I was six. And he let him live with us. So my sister, I have two younger sisters. Jody's 13 months behind me. So me and Jody were very close when he came. And my mom was pregnant uh, with my little sister who's six years behind me. So um, she, my mom was pregnant when Ronnie showed up originally. Um, but he started abusing us right away, sexually abusing us. And, you know, he worked us. He didn't go for the whole gung-ho right at the beginning. You know, he... He played a lot of games with us. He did a lot of stuff to get he us. He groomed you guys. He groomed us for sure. Um, eventually, my dad let him start working at my dad's gas station. My dad owned a gas station with his brothers, and he got Ronnie a job there. Ronnie was working the night shift, 
Um, so what that meant was my dad would come home, my mom and dad would go to bed, and Ronnie would be at work. But then when Ronnie got home, probably whatever, midnight, him and his, uh, what my mom would call creepy Hector. Oh, my gosh. He would, he would come, uh, Ronnie would come home, and creepy Hector would come around the side window. And it seems really, even to me now, it seems like there's just no way that can happen. How do you take a kid out their window and their parents don't know about it? Just feels like, but then I hear other stories about kids getting kidnapped out their window all the time, you know? So they would hand us out, me and Jody, uh, I don't ever remember going with her at the same time. I think they might've alternated us, but they would take us out the window. Um, and from what I, I realize now is they were getting paid by the occult money to take us over there and drop us off. So they'd come back in the morning and pick us up. So it wasn't directly Ronnie. Uh, he was not in the occult. He was just getting paid by the occult. <laughs> he was contracted. And creepy Hector uh, was really creepy. I mean, Ronnie was crazy. Yeah. Hector was just creepy. But they would they would drop me off all the stuff that got gets done to you, which you know I'll, I'll touch on someday, but or today. Uh, they do whatever they do, and then Ronnie picked me up, get me back in the house before anybody woke up. So how how crazy is that? And how does that go on without you telling your parents? So I don't tell anybody because uh, my mom's pregnant. I So at this point, probably at this point, Chrissy's already born, and they're already telling me things like, if you say anything to anybody, we're going to kill your baby sister. We're going to kill your parents. And so at this point, I had already seen them be violent or something. They had already, um, I'll just throw it out here because we're, we're here anyways. They had already done a baby sacrifice at the occult. And you witnessed that? They made me take part in it. They forced me to be a part of it. And then they turn around and blame you for it. So, so if you're getting that done to you at six. Six years old, that's what, kindergarten? It was in kindergarten. Wow. So if they do that to you at six and you have a baby sister at home that you love and adore. I mean, I thought she was my baby. So for them to tell me that. There for was no sure, way you were saying anything. Not even in a, I mean, I'd die first before, you know, it was very protective over my family. Nothing happening, especially to my baby sister. So that's how they got me not to say anything. So, and obviously there's a lot more to that whole story as far as what they were threatening me with, what I saw them do, um, what Ronnie started doing directly to me, and then what Hector started doing to me. And all, any, any friend that Ronnie could loan me out to, probably for money at this point, I'm thinking that's probably what he was doing because uh, Ronnie basically was doing whatever he had to do to make money. I mean, he didn't even care. So, uh, yeah, that's why I never said anything. And eventually, if you if you don't say anything long enough as a kid, you will just block it out. Mm -hmm. It's just gonna go. There's it's just too much. You can't you cannot process that as a six year old the evil that you see. Then they make you take part in it. Then they try to blame you. And the thing about the satanic occult is they directly take scriptures out of the Bible and flip them, and they will pull scriptures out of the Bible and use that on you to say, hey, see, this is God. This is God's angry at you. You see this? So they used a lot of scriptures on me. Uh, to try to prove that God was in this thing. But the funny thing, Vanessa, is that because my mom planted Jesus in me, at a you very, knew it wasn't I true. knew, 
I knew, I mean, I think back to some of the things I already knew at six years old, it was pretty crazy that I had, I already had a very strong feeling that Ronnie had been abused and he was just reenacting what had been done to him by his two crazy, he had a really crazy dad and really crazy stepdad that were in and out of prison. I already knew that Ronnie had all this done to him. He was reenacting literally what they did to him. He was re, you know, reenacting what he was doing that to me, basically. I knew that as a kid. Um, so I, I never doubted <laughs> that he would do something crazy to me if I told, you know. I'm just picturing a six-year-old going to school. What was your behavior like? Could people have not like noticed that something was going on? Like, how do you just right. function as a young kid that happening to you at night, and then you have to get up to go to That's school right. in the then morning? Then you have to get up and you have to go to school. The only thing I remember the teacher complaining about to my mom is that she just will not stop talking. I'm thinking, well, that's probably how I was processing whatever I was going through is this maybe talking nonstop in class, you know, which was not me as a kid. Well, I don't know if it was me as a kid or if I just turned out to be really quiet as a kid because of all this abuse. But um, the other thing is Ronnie was picking me up from kindergarten. My mom was always handing me off to Ronnie. Oh, wow. To babysit me so she thinks he's taking me shopping for shoes well he was taking me shopping for shoes but he was also you know doing all this other crazy stuff so um you know somewhere along the line I realized oh my gosh I'm a compulsive shopper because that's I, what he was doing I have he, he that's right he would abuse me and then take me shopping so you could see how that would get confusing as a kid you're like hey something bad's happening I must go shopping you know must go buy some shoes you know or something yeah. like that you get a weird connection as a kid you know to things that they were doing that were very like contrary to each other and your mom called that guy what creepy henry well she he, had like a weird was, feeling about him yes and but she would say about ronnie oh so growing up i heard nothing but good things about ronnie oh ronnie was such a, such a gentleman he would always make his bed and call me yes ma'am no ma'am well of course he was saying yes ma'am no ma'am making his bed he didn't want to give my mom any sign that he was doing what he was doing to me and jody so and how did that come to light so How old were you? So when I, so I didn't remember any of this. Oh. I just remember being in love with Ronnie. Like I thought he was my boyfriend. I remember when I was a little girl, I loved Ronnie. So growing up, this is what I thought. Because he would play the role with me as a six-year-old that I was his girlfriend. But then he would turn around and do all this crazy stuff to me. So um, what was your question? Sorry. No, how everything came to the surface. Oh, yes. Sorry. I dissociate when I get on these subjects, so you'll have to, like, bring me back around. It'll just, like, it'll just, like, disappear. Um, so I grew up thinking that Ronnie was this, Ronnie was that. He was my hero. My mom saying the same exact same thing until I got married. Uh, I think Ricky had already been born. I remember my mom, we were in her kitchen saying, oh, my gosh, I just found out that Ronnie died. And she said he escaped from prison and he locked himself in some kind of shopping mall or barricaded himself and the SWAT team surrounded wherever he had locked himself in and before they could get to him, he killed himself. He shot himself in the head. And I remember from the moment she said that something, yeah, something flipped and I was like, he's not going to kill me anymore. Well, not consciously the whole week I was blank just blank. And I remember thinking, what is going on with me? Ever since my mom told me this, why can't I, I was just numb. But then slowly, the first thing that came back to my mind after that being like checked out all week was an orange couch. Then I remember Ronnie abusing us on my mom and dad had a 
the reason I remember this orange couch because it was leather back in the it is. 60s, I guess. It's orange leather couch, which would be very probably cute nowadays. <laughs> it was a pull-out bed. That's where Ronnie used to sleep, but he started abusing us on that couch. That was the first thing. And I was like, why can't I get this picture of this orange couch out of my mind? Like, why does it keep coming back, you know? And then slowly, slowly, slowly it starts to unfold. And the first thing I remember is that uh, he worked at my dad's gas station at the end of all this, which was very close to Christmas, or right at Christmas, he got, my dad caught him stealing money out of my dad's gas station, out of the till. So my dad fired him. It was in the middle of the day my dad fired him. This is kind of a weird turn of events. I don't ever remember my mom leaving me at home at six years old, but that particular day she had left me home by myself because I was sick with the flu. She said later I was supposed to get up when I had the flu. I was supposed to go to my babysitter's, which was Shirley down the street. She said, I left you there so you could sleep in. You were supposed to walk to Shirley's, which was my babysitter's down the street. But what happened in between is my dad fired Ronnie. Ronnie picked up a guy that he owed money to on the way home, brought this guy home, came through the house, and came into my room. And I just knew from the way he looked at me when he came through the door. And I always remember, I always wondered, how, does, how do I know he's going to do what he's going to do? I already knew what he's going to do to me. I didn't know for years, up until probably the last five years, I didn't know that he had been doing this to me all along. I had all that blocked out. But I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm in trouble. Nobody's here. Uh-oh. And he says to me, where's your mom and dad's money? And I'm thinking, uh-oh. Uh, what do you mean money? Where's your mom and dad's money? He owed this guy money. So I said, I don't know. And I'm thinking, shoot, I better get I better get up and look. He's like, you need to find it. It's here somewhere. So I'm searching through all the cupboards. I'm, I'm panicking, trying to find my mom and dad's so-called hidden money in the house. I don't know. I remember at some point, which broke, broke my heart when I remember this, is that I went and got my piggy bank and offered him my piggy bank. Oh, my God. And he laughed. You know, he thought that was a big, funny joke. To me, it was like my last-ditch effort everything. to keep him from doing to me what I know they were about to do to me um, if I didn't find this money, basically. So I, didn't, I couldn't find it, and he drug me into my mom and dad's room. I really didn't expect to tell this today, but here we go. Uh, this, so this is the first thing I really remembered that I wound up telling my mom and dad. And okay. I was, by now, I'm 27 years old. Okay, just, I mean, maybe 27, I got married. I don't know. I'll have to remember if this was before or after Ricky. I don't really know. I can't remember right now. But um, he drugged me into my mom and dad's room. And when he closed the door, the other guy's behind the door. And I'm just like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is not just Ronnie. We're, we're in trouble now, you know? So basically, he told the guy, I don't have any money, but you can have her. The weird thing about this situation is that guy did not want to do anything to me. Oh, wow. Ronnie really put him on the spot. And it broke my heart again when I remember that Ronnie uses my dad's tie to tie me up, which really is still to this day is so painful for me because I loved my dad. All I ever wanted in life was my dad. He worked so much and I would wait up for him. I mean, I was I was obsessed with my dad. He was like my my everything, which really explains why when Ronnie came along, my dad was never home, why I fell into this, even as a child, from my own feelings towards Ronnie, is that Ronnie came in, oh, I'm going to be your boyfriend. Well, of course, I'm a little girl who's missing her dad. So you see what the part of the grooming was. And I didn't remember that till years later. But what I did remember is them leaving. 
and me having to put the house back together to make sure it was spotless and clean because if anybody found out he did that to me, I still had that fear they were going to kill Chrissy. So now you know where my eat my not my eating disorder. Well, yeah, that's another disorder, but my cleaning, <laughs> my cleaning disorder, we can trace it back to that because I had to clean everything. All the cupboards I'd gone through, all the stuff they had done had to be back exactly. And here I am, I'm sick. Um, probably got the flu or whatever I had. I don't know. Putting the house back together. And then I remember being in the bathroom with the heater on, just being numb and bleeding and feeling like I did something wrong, that I got punished because I did something wrong. And then sitting on that orange couch, looking out the window, thinking, what can I do to fix this so he'll come back? You know, at six years old, me being very confused about what is going on, I'm thinking I did something wrong. So that's what I, I wound up telling my mom and dad. They knew I was having some stuff going on, and they didn't know anything at all. They only knew Ronnie went to prison after that. So I did eventually tell my mom and dad. And just hearing all this, you were literally dealing living with a calculated mm-hmm. criminal. Oh, like for, for him sure. to even barricade himself in a shopping mall and right. have SWAT come. Like right. SWAT doesn't come just for anybody. No, that's right. They know it's a dangerous criminal who's in there. Like right. that <sighs> manipulation your whole mm-hmm. childhood. He was schizophrenic for, for sure. Uh, no, not schizophrenic. What do you call it when people have no conscience? Um, uh, sociopath? Yes, he was a sociopath for sure. He had no... He would laugh. He just thought everything was, you know what I mean? It's just a game for him. He had no feelings, no feeling of anything towards me, compassion or anything. So he could just feel like this, take you shopping and then turn around and, I mean, with no uh, conscience about it whatsoever. And how many years did that, how how long did that happen for? He was only there for nine months. But that nine, nine, even someone being abused one day, that's traumatic. I had a very good family uh, unit. They were a little clueless. <laughs> Let's just obviously. say, obviously, my mom especially was a little clueless. Uh, my dad just worked too much, but uh, I had a very good, strong family unit growing up. So we had our and even having that, it can still happen. Nine to anyone. months. That's right. Nine months of uh, hell, really. So obviously, all that stuff takes root in you, and then <laughs> when it starts to work its way out, it can turn into some pretty crazy things, you know? Well, especially suppressing it for right over 20 years. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. 20-something <laughs> years. I can't even imagine how your mom and dad took that. It was devastating to them, really devastating. And my dad said, you know, Ronnie, Ronnie had um, wrote me a letter while he was in prison asking me to talk to him. He said he had something he wanted to tell me. He goes, now you're telling me this. I think he was going to confess. And probably a good thing for his sake, I didn't go. He goes, I didn't go. He goes, I would have killed him. I would have killed him on the spot, you know? Now that, you know, my poor dad, my poor mom. Finally, the lid blew off. Mm -hmm. And you told your parents. How did that unravel in your adulthood? I mean, the unraveling was for the next, I don't know, 20, 30 years, however long it was. Just the Lord coming in, um, bringing those memories back one at a time. Because you think sometimes... You know, I talk to people like, oh, I don't want to remember. Well, the thing is, you think it's all going to come back at once. It doesn't. 
God gives you very a lot of grace on the on the memories coming back. It, you know, you get something would come up, you feel crazy, I don't know what's going on, what I feel like this, I feel scared, I feel this and this, then slowly this memory starts to come back and then you're like, oh my gosh, that really happened to me? No, that didn't happen to me. Yeah, did that happen to me? And then it stays there, you know? And then you start realizing, oh my gosh, this really happened to me. And then you work through it and I had a very, very amazing, um, I still do, if I want to still contact her, Susan uh, helped me through all that for years. And then I would just, you know, I would work through it. I'd go home and be a mom and be a wife and be a business owner and working in the high school ministry and go on mission trips and raise my beautiful kids. And I loved my life. So it was very balanced as far as, okay, I can do this with the Lord, work through it. You know, I'd go in the bathroom and cry and scream and kick the cupboards. And then I'd come out and fight and just, you know, <laughs> dissociating is a good thing. Sometimes <laughs> you're like, just block that out and keep going. But, um, can say looking back at that compared to what I'm going through now, that was way easier, way easier than what I'm going through right now, which is pretty crazy <laughs> that that could be easier than anything, you know? Um, but I guess God just gave me what I needed really to get through it. And my whole goal, goal in that was for God to use it for some kind of good. And I was helping a lot of girls doing a lot of counseling with a lot of girls at church, not just at church, I mean, just really anywhere I go. <laughs> anywhere you go. I was, you know, always really, uh, I loved it. And I just thought, man, if this is, if I can help one person out of all this, it's worth it. But there were, you know, I was able to help a lot of girls and um, that was pretty awesome. So I guess that's what I focused on is that you, you know, if you allow it, God will let you use those, use that trauma in your life to grow closer to the Lord, which is what happened. And then in that, it was a better mom. I don't know if I was a better wife. I was I was a better mom for it, and I turned out to be, I think, more compassionate because of it. Had a heart for people who were hurting, um, obviously, because you know I know what that felt like. I also had a different perspective on evil, mm. where I felt like, you know what, the devil's real. You know God's real because once you see that, it's very, you know, y you get both sides. You know, <laughs> yeah. this is real. This is real. You know. Um, and also had a very healthy respect for spiritual warfare, but then at the same time wasn't really scared. Yeah. So that was another thing that came out of that. Um, so some good things, a lot of good things came out of it, really. And experiencing that at such a young age and suppressing it all and then finally starting to process it and reflecting back on your early years, mm -hmm. I'm sure it explained so much. Was there certain feelings that you felt like, did, obviously it would have affected your self-esteem or mm -hmm. other aspects of life did it leave you feeling like certain ways or well really what happened is that because I had blocked everything out I don't know how God you know I, your sister Marissa is reading up on this so it's pretty awesome she's starting to actually understand scientifically what happens when people go through trauma and they block it out someday I'll get that get that from Marissa but there is actually something that Because shifts. a book that my friend recommended, The That's Body right. Keeps the Score. That's right. So Marissa's learning about it. So she's starting to tell me stuff. Well, when you block this out, this happens and this happens. But for me, blocking it out um, growing up, I didn't really see it have any effect on me until I was in high school and boys came along, mm. which I really avoided like the plague for as long as I could. In my mind, I was a virgin and I wanted to stay a virgin, which is funny. Not funny, it's sad. 
that I had told myself, I'm a virgin and I'm going to be pure when I get married. And I used to think to myself, oh, nobody would ever rape me because I would never let that happen. So I guess you tell yourself a lot of things growing up to counteract actually what happened. But up until the point where um, boys came along, I was, I could say as normal as, you know, I was the good, I was the good child, you know, I was the, the oldest of the girls. I got a lot of attention from my parents. I got, I was the one that got the good grades. I mean, I was pretty normal growing up. Then boys came along and I literally remember another switch flipping. And I look back and I really think, I don't know if it was demonic, but I really remember a switch flipping. And from that point on, it was like, um, something's wrong with Julie. Mm. She's not, I had like a double, double life, which was, I was me over here, but then with boys. <laughs> but that makes sense though, because literally yeah. as a six year old, you had a double life. And I did. Very good point, Vanessa. You had a double life. I did. You were... I could flip the switch as a kid. I had to, right? So it flipped again when a male figure came into your life as a teenager. Right. Wow. Sex. Mostly around yeah. sex. Okay. That's just crazy how the body yeah. works. Like that book. I've been meaning to read it too. Mm. The body keeps the score because mm. it's like even though we suppress things or yeah. not even, you know, we black it out. It's, it's there. Our body remembers. Oh, for so sure. That's just a wild one. Uh, but how do we even transition from <laughs> how do we that go from heaviness? <laughs> but you just you just say it so gracefully, and like you're saying, it's does you always still consider others and you know, thinking about your own trauma. You're like other people have gone through it their whole lives. Like that's mm-hmm. just so selfless of you, and you've been selfless since mm. a little girl and taking on all that trauma. For the sake of your little sister, like, mm-hmm. that must have yeah. felt like the world was on your shoulders at that oh, time. Oh, and I can't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, then you grow up just being strong. I, I grew up just never even had a thought in my mind that I could go to somebody for help. I'm just doing it by myself. So it's been kind of a unusual process with me and the Lord trying to figure out how to let God comfort me since he passed away because I was very, like, come on, God, what are you talking about comfort? Somebody would say something about, let the Lord comfort you. I'm like, what are you, you okay, we can do this, this, and this, but comforting me, come on, that's just not even, that's that's not, that doesn't even exist. My way of God comforting me would be me going in the bathroom, kicking the cupboards, crying to the Lord. That was my comforting, but that's all I knew. I didn't know about, I still don't, really. I'm, I'm working on letting the Lord comfort me. I don't know what that looks like, but... At some point, I had to realize, okay, I need to jump into this comfort thing and just say, okay, Lord, if you have something to give me comfort-wise that I, I, I know nothing about because I never had it, couldn't ask for it, <laughs> was not available, uh, it's, it's been a weird thing for me, this whole subject on comfort, which, you know, is a good topic for a podcast, but <laughs> that would be another day too. <laughs> and you're barely learning comfort now. Comfort, yes. Comfort is kind of a foreign, foreign subject for me. And we all have those things that are foreign subjects to us that we won't notice until we actually take the time to mm-hmm. process. Because like you said, you thought comfort was processing in the restroom, kicking the cupboard, and mm-hmm. that was that. You, But more so, it was just processing really quick right. and not really circling back for the comfort moment. 
and it's it's important to be self-aware about those things and I'm sure processing all that you have been processing with grief and just things that have happened recently it's like all these switches and these lights all the layers exactly it's like dealing with an onion if you're ready some people just don't want to and something that I wanted to touch on because I know you're just very transparent and it's not even specific to you but you're the one who keeps reiterating it Mm. to me is the reality is we just came out of pandemic 2020 was just right I don't even have the words to explain it we don't even know (laughs) we're still processing it we are and I think that's what we don't realize is Mm -hmm. everybody was just so excited for a shutdown to be over to go back to normal and then we have all these mandates coming all this vaccine stuff and this and that and social everything that Mm -hmm. just came all at once and we just have to go back to normal after Mm -hmm. oh well the mandates changed so now we go to work Mm -hmm. the mandates are back so we don't we stay home and there's all this back and forth all this uncertainty can lead to so much emotions and I feel like something that has been a very very common topic that a lot of people have talked about is loneliness right and going through the pandemic and grieving and just life Mm -hmm. what are what is your wisdom or what have you learned about loneliness through it (laughs) you would think I was gonna cry during that last half hour but I thought you were (laughs) no I mean I used to speak I used to speak on being abused by a satanic occult, so I have it. It's more something I'm familiar talking with. I think the stuff that I'm going through right now is much more, um, first of all, it's way more painful. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, it's, it's more complicated for me, and I don't have it figured out. I don't have, you know, with being abused as a kid, I've had years to process looking back what happened, to make sense out of it, how it affected me all that now it's like right when you're in the middle of it you're trying to figure out what is happening (laughs) why is this happening god where are you in all this and uh, you're trying to run from it my main thing I feel like going through when Pete passed away so now you're grieving not just your husband passing away but you're watching your kids go through it your whole life got flipped upside down I moved I got cats. You have grandkids. I got grandkids. Ricky got married. Cheyenne moved away. Down the street. (laughs) Yes, down the street. But But you guys were living doors away. She was living in my same apartment building. And then her and Josh, praise the Lord, got a house, which I was super excited for them to move and get a house. I needed some space. They needed some space for me. I needed some space from them. And it's 10 minutes away. So it was all good. But... When they did leave, I went through a major, like, for months, like, oh, my gosh, I'm really alone. And I have, I have people that I love and girls that I'm close to in the apartment building, but it's not the same as having your daughter and your grandkids and, you know, that family unit. And then Ricky got married and trying to give him some space to figure out how to be married. And uh, I find myself alone. So you know a lot about being alone with all those transitions back to back. Alone, just you and God, you know. And the first year was way easier. I mean, I can even say that I was grieving on one end and super excited on the other end because I thought, man, I have a new apartment. I got a new life. 
So there's one end that I'm excited and one end I'm still grieving. It's a weird mix. And I feel weird about that mix. I feel like... Because you're trying to still live life while still processing that your husband passed away. Right. And the first year when somebody passes, at least in my case, there was a lot of adrenaline that kicked in because everything is changing. So that helped me get through the first year. But I remember specifically, Pete passed away on May 21st, but I remember the first Father's Day. Why mm. Father's Day? I don't know. It just... It just hit me like, oh my gosh, my husband's gone. He's not coming back, you know? And the second year, so this last year has been the hardest year that I've ever had. I, I mean, the pain that I've gone through this last year is not even, I mean, I can't even say it's even on the scale of what I've gone through before. This is way harder for me. But I can say in a nutshell, as far as being alone, living alone, feeling alone, feeling alone, and being lonely um, has been very, very, very difficult. I always kind of fantasized about, oh, I, I mean, this is kind of sad to say, but I used to fantasize, oh, when I get old, I'm going to live by myself. <laughs> I'm going to have a lot of plants. And, you know, I had this whole thing worked out this in my farm. head. farm. That's how I used to escape from my crazy, busy life. I'd be like, oh, I'll be alone someday, and I'll, I'll have this time, you know. But then, boom, it happens, and I'm like, uh-oh, sorry, God. <laughs> Just, just kidding. This is not as much fun as I thought it was going to be. Um, the living alone, but then at the same time, the feeling lonely or being in emotional pain or grieving. Let's just put all that into the mm -hmm. same category. The same box. Because there is something I can say about that. The main thing I want to say about that, and maybe we'll do another. I'm, I'm giving myself a lot of days on a podcast, but you, we'll a do a mini series for a whole you. Another, don't worry. A whole another podcast, but. The best thing I can say that I've ever learned, probably probably one of the most top things I've ever learned about God is that it doesn't matter what you're going through, if you can emotionally pull yourself out of what you're going through and look at it mm. objectively, right? Like, okay, if I was somebody else and I was going through this, how would I be viewing this? But I noticed in the middle of my pain, I was actually getting angry and agitated and trying to get away from the pain. I was, didn't want to be in this pain, which is weird for me because I used to kind of like, yeah, I went through this and I this and I like to speak about it and just go through it right now. Now this time around, I'm like, this sucks. I don't want to feel like this, God. I need out of this. How do I get out of this? And then I realized that wasn't working at all. So what I realized one morning, and this darkness kept coming over me in the mornings when I would wake up, it was really trying to overtake me. And I'm thinking, I don't know if this is... I don't know if this is spiritual warfare or if this is a, a mixture of spiritual warfare. Now the devil's getting involved with my grieving and the depression. Is this trying to come after me? I got up one morning and I said, okay, God, we're going to, this something, something's got to give here. Okay. Instead of running from this, I'm going to embrace this. Mm. So what would this look like if I embrace this pain and stop trying to run from it, Vanessa? And I swear to you that morning I said, okay, Lord, from now on, whatever you're allowing me to go through, Whatever this pain is that I'm feeling that I'm trying to get away from, I'm not going to run from it anymore. I'm going to embrace it because you know why? You're allowing me to go through it for a reason. So once I embraced it and realized, okay, whatever is going on, and I talked to Cheyenne about this today, it doesn't matter what we're going through. A lot of times we can blame all this on the outside of us. This person did this to us. We're in this situation. It's easy to focus on all these things, but when the Bible says you don't really wrestle against flesh and blood, it's you're Ephesians. really you're really in the spiritual realm you know you're really wrestling against principalities and darkness and i'm not saying everything spiritual warfare but what i am saying is that 
doesn't matter what you're going through, what pain you're going through, embrace it and take it to the Lord and say, God, what is it you're trying to teach me in this pain? You are allowing me 100%. I, I am choosing to believe you're allowing me to go through this because you're trying to teach me something, trying to show me something. And from that moment on, I said, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I'm grateful for it. I thanked God for it. Thank you for this pain. Thank you for this darkness. Thank you for this loneliness. Thank you that I'm having a very hard time trusting that you're in this I'm having a very hard time feeling like and trusting that you care about me right now, which I heard somebody say when you're grieving, you feel like God abandoned you. And I never really knew that, but that's exactly how I felt. I felt like mm. there's no way God could be in this when I'm feeling like this. But then I realized, no, he is in this. He's trying to teach me something. And from the moment I said that, that thing left. I never had it come back. Mm. So whatever it was in the embracing it, whether the Lord was allowing me to get to a point where I realized, okay, I'm going to be thankful for this because God's trying to teach me something. Or there was spiritual warfare going on and the devil's just like, okay, <laughs> she just pulled my covers. I can't really harass her anymore. She's thanking God for it, right? If you take something the devil's trying to throw at you and you thank God for it, now it's in God's hands. It's in God's control. You just took the devil right out of his own game. So that was good. Uh, whatever it is, I just submitted it to the Lord. So now when I'm getting in pain or emotional pain, I'm more like, okay, God, you're allowing me to go through this. Yeah, this person hurt me. Yeah, this person did this to me. This person said this. But at the end of the day... This is about me and the Lord. What is it you're trying to teach me? And I feel like as soon as I can surrender that, look at it as a gift and give it back to the Lord, it's a, it's a game changer. <laughs> the whole different ball of wax now. That was a big for me, really big for me to realize that. Instead of trying to hurry up and fast forward through it. Or fight to... it or figure out a way to get out of it. I mean, have to process when you're in pain. pain, it's like drowning. You're trying to figure out how do I, how do, okay, I'm drowning here. I can't breathe. Help, panic sets in. You're fighting it. You're trying to figure out how do I not drown? How do I swim? You're going to panic and drown. You can just like, okay, Lord, I'm drowning. Um, thank you that I'm drowning. Can you, can you be in this with me? And then just watch the Lord go here. Let me take Here's you to the floaty. shore. <laughs> yes. Here's your floaty. Here's a floaty. Let me take you to the shore. Only God can do that, right? Literally. Yeah. Only God can do that. Wow. So I, I am really in a new place with the Lord that I wouldn't trade for anything. <laughs> doesn't matter how much pain I go through. I feel like it's always about God and what God's doing and what God's teaching me and how he's healing me and ultimately just getting closer to the Lord, which at the end of the day... For us Christians, that's where we're heading anyway. Well, that was a lot to unpack in the process uh, for me to hear. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, Vanessa, because you probably, out of everybody in your family, probably, this is, you're probably the one that knows the least about that, right? I I don't know much Which about is funny. it. All I knew was that the the whole and your cousin had some craziness in your life. But yeah. You and I have actually depth, never. No, I I didn't know all that, but I'm glad you shared it because mm -hmm. who knows who's listening. Yeah. And it, I know somebody is going to receive something. Before we close, yes. is there anything you would like to add? I'm just very grateful that God's given me an opportunity in the middle of this to do this. That I don't have to wait till I work through it and look back and, you know. Reflect. <laughs> because like you and I were talking about, it's like sometimes the most vulnerable thing you can say is just say, I don't know really what's going on. You know, God's in it. Um, we're working it out. And I don't know, I don't have all the pieces what I'm going through. I mean, a lot of stuff I feel, I feel bad that I feel 
you know and on mm. another end there's a lot of pain that I feel excited about so it, it doesn't always make sense you know what I mean it's true it doesn't always make sense and sometimes there's this guilt surrounded mm-hmm. surrounding like certain emotions and feelings and it's it's just uh it's a lot to process but it's also a beautiful thing like you said to not have to wait to look back but to be able to pause Mm -hmm. in it and kind of just like you said that you do your best to do is take a step back and say well if this wasn't me how would Mm -hmm. how would I do this and that's such a great perspective to have and I'm sure that's what has kept you moving forward this long and Mm -hmm. for you to have the strength that you have to even pour into others in the midst of it I mean I took some time off uh because I didn't have anything to give. Exactly. And that, and that was weird for me. But then I realized, okay, I can't give out if I don't, I don't even have it in myself to give out. And God gives you time to grieve and he pulls you back. But I think one thing I will say in closing, if you're trying to push things away from your past because you're scared, I just can say 100%, don't be scared because God is so good to give you what you can handle as it goes. It doesn't come back all at once. He's right in it. God is way bigger God's goodness and grace and mercy is so much bigger than any pain you could go through. It's almost like there's a treasure chest and you don't want to open it because you're afraid there's some bad memory. But when you open it, yeah, there's pain, but it's like this beautiful treasure. It's like there's a whole thing you don't know about. And that comes with the Lord healing you. So I could just say, if you're if you're afraid to let the Lord heal you, I can say 100% open that box and let God heal you because the gifts... And the beauty and God's grace and mercy and all those things you hear about are in that box. Open it and trust that God's going to work it out um, where you're at. You don't have to have all the answers. And sometimes it comes back mm. with an orange couch. It's all you remember. And it'll involve, you know, not everybody has a crazy story like me, but there's still, there's so many painful things that people go through, you know, so it whatever it is. It doesn't have to be extreme. I, no, it doesn't have to be extreme. There, pain you know, is pain. P- people's pain on some level can be exactly what I went through, but it can be a whole different situation that to them think, oh, I never went through anything like that. But don't, don't do that. Don't minimize what you went through because if it's your pain and you're in pain, this pain, pain is pain. It's there. And God understands it, you know? So that's what I'm saying about that. <laughs> okay. Well, in closing, I always closing. ask, or I like to try to ask questions. Yes. And the question I'm going to ask you is, what is something exciting that you look forward to accomplishing in the next year or two? Just anything random, whatever it is. So funny you're asking me this right now because I just ran to Cheyenne. I said, Cheyenne, you know what I should do? She said, what? You know what I should do? I should open a laundromat. (laughs) Because I love to do laundry, you know? Oh my gosh, you would be the perfect laundry lady. So she texts Josh, Josh, you want to go in and invest, open a laundromat with my mom? He said, yeah. <laughs> I go, can you imagine, Shine, all the laundry I love to do? But um, really what I'm, I'm, I'm actually pouring out to the Lord. I went to church with my son two weeks ago, I guess on Mother's Day. And there's things that I'm praying about for the future that I'm actually really, really asking God to do. Um, but at the end of the day, I told God, you know what, Lord, even if you never answer this prayer for me for the, for the remaining, let's say if I have 20 years left, the end of the day the only thing I really want is for you to use me I if I only have 20 years left here let's say I live till I'm 80 I want that 20 years to be I don't want it to waste you know I don't want to waste those 20 years I want you to pour me out like never before so 
do it. Do whatever you're going to do. I'm available. I'm here. I'm open. I'm far from being perfect. You know, I'm broken in a lot of places, but you know, I know about God's goodness and I know about pain. That's for sure. So that's really even in the next year, Vanessa, you know, and you're, you're a part of that. So <laughs> thank you for that. That's what we'll be looking forward to seeing how the Lord can use me. Cause a lot of people are hurting right now. Yeah. So many people are hurting and I've run into so many women my age. I'm 60, but I ran into so many people in my age group that got stuck at home during COVID. Even Christians, they don't want to go back to church. They don't want to get involved. They're isolating. And I, I just recently made that decision like, no, I'm not doing that. I want to stay home too. I want to stay home and feel sorry for myself and not go anywhere but to see my daughter and my grandkids. But then I started realizing this is not good for anybody. This is not good for my daughter and my grandkids. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot do this. So I went back to church. I got involved in church. I went and found a therapist. I got back to the gym. I am trying to, I'd say, get my life back as my sister politely told me you don't you're not trying to get your life back because you're never going to get the life back that you had which is true (laughs) sometimes I wish I could go back and get that life back um the part about having kids because I loved being a mom I miss I miss being a mom more than anything but I'm a grandma and it's super awesome and I still have my kids and now I have Josh and Sarah which is beautiful so many people that are stuck and depressed and they don't want to get out of the house and people are hurting but they don't know why they're hurting There's nothing wrong with all that. We just went through a crazy thing. We don't even know, we don't even know what we just went through. And now we're trying to bounce back like nothing happened. But a lot of people lost people. You guys lost tons of people. I lost my husband. There's a lot of people who lost people, even if you didn't during COVID, our whole life got flipped upside down. So we're going to need some help in getting our lives to go forward, moving forward and outside of our four walls. Yes. That's, that's my advice. Get out and do something. Stop trying to bounce back like nothing happened. That's right. You heard it from Jolie, and that's the truth. Amen to that. Chew on that and process it. It's okay to feel things that you've never felt before, Mm -hmm. to feel uncertain, and just process it. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, that's a wrap, guys.